Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Join us on our journey into the past, the present, and the future as we explore the relationship between technology and humanity. Together, we're going to find out what it means to live in a society where everything is connected and the only constant is change. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. RSA Security offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. Learn more at rsa.com. All right, Marco. Ron, ready for another story? It's, it's story time, and uh, every company has a story, but sometimes other companies tell other companies' stories. <laughs> it, may, it may get a little confusing it's, here. And uh, they tell stories of other people pretending to be other people. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. I like it. I like it. it took me a second, but... Uh, I'm a, I, you know, this is an industry that is actually really dear to us. Uh, in, in, we are we are in the same city, and that's where a lot of this uh, this magic happened. So, exactly. without further ado, I would say let's uh, let's introduce this new the business of security uh, podcast episode. Yes, where we get to talk to CEOs and their and their team all about the value of investing in cybersecurity. It's more than just uh, reducing the number of attacks and uh, reducing risk and exposure. There's much more to it than that. And we have two amazing people from Digital Film Tree. We have Rami Katrib and Nancy Jundi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. And as, as we kick this off, maybe just a quick word from each of you about your role and uh, what Digital Film Tree is, is about. So we have that context to, to work with as we, as we begin this conversation. Sure. Um, I'm Rami Katrib. I founded Digital Film Tree um, over 21 years ago. And essentially, we started on the cusp of the film and television industry being based on physical film, celluloid, uh, which you cut and glue together. And in our, in our experience, we went through the transition of that physical process transitioning to a file. And for things like desktop, computers to essentially become um, the foundation of how we create content. So we grew up during that, that experience going from physical to file and then from file to cloud and from cloud to machine learning and from machine learning to VR. So we, we've, uh, we've been the uh, beneficiaries of many revolutions, so to speak, technological revolutions. But at the heart of it, we've always been uh, about story 
um, we are all storytellers, um, as well as helping other storytellers. So whatever it is we're doing um, uh, in the technology arena and in security, it, it's all based on story. So that's the one common denominator with digital film tree. Um, uh, I will say we're uh, a little uh, unusual in that we also combine a software development effort where we build our own tools um, and have started, you know, other efforts from the digital film tree experience. Um, so it's, I describe it as an interdisciplinary environment where creativity and technology or creatives and technologists not just commingle, but are really working in a interdisciplinary environment to solve some of the biggest problems in, in, in our space. Yeah, I love that. And you've, you've clearly been through many transformations and that, that doesn't come nat or by accident, right? You, you've taken the opportunity to drive forward with new innovations and new technologies. And that means taking some risk. And before we continue, I want to hear from, from Nancy uh, what your role is at Digital Film Tree and, and your view of, of uh, what's, what's going on in this space. Technology and I, we are the best of friends. <laughs> uh, fun fact, actually, in addition to uh, having the benefit of having worked with Rami for the better part of the last decade, um, part of why uh, he and I have been working together for so long is I have a very unique background in the respect that why I'm even in Los Angeles was because when I was literally a child, about 14 years old, I hacked into uh, a website. And I don't mind dating myself. I have pretty good skin care. But it was 1994, and I was a fan of uh, a director. And he was very new in adopting the Internet and having a fan community. And I just didn't particularly like the design of it. So I hacked into it, I reorganized it, and I uh, compiled um, the, the web board essentially to be a better fit for the people that were using it. And eventually they finally tracked me down, it only took about a year or so, and they paid me to essentially become their webmaster. Uh, that led into a whole host and bevy of other opportunities, but uh, in short, Right before coming back to Digital Film Tree, I'd been a consultant on and off for a decade. I was serving both in a capacity at a software company that was leveraging uh, both automated technology to capture and best target potential hires for people like the Department of Defense. And so that was a lot of cybersecurity, information security, penetration testing, um, hiring people for their CISSP and CompTIA to become certified ethical hackers, et cetera. And uh, prior to that, I had actually spent about 10 years in post-production for media and entertainment. So those two worlds combined, the pressing need for security in media and entertainment and the fact that I had had that background, it made it a good time for me to come back to Digital Film Tree as the COO also because there was a lot of organizational change management that needed to happen here because Rami has huge visions with so many resources behind him to bring those fruition, bring those dreams to fruition that it took some navigating even for staff to adapt to how big the vision was and how big the picture was because this 
this industry is a very big one to try and bring in new methodologies and uh, especially when it comes to the cloud. So a lot of what we've done since I came on as COO is doubling down on our educational resources and hand-holding to make sure that people who are currently experiencing what we like to call forced innovation are able to do so with some, uh, some bit of comfort. I mean, your, your story there, we could have a whole episode just on your, your experiences as a I hacker. I didn't know connected. it was going to be in a hacking episode. That's right. That's, that's really, really cool. <laughs> Never know. I, I want to have a conversation there. So we'll, <laughs> maybe set that up for a different one. For a different but, one. But I, I think one thing I want to point out, and then Marco, you have, you have a question brewing in your head there. But Rami, you mentioned that you're developing software. And I, I think there's an interesting point here that we will want to get into, which is you're not just using technology to run your business and using technology that allows you to connect with your clients and your partners, you're actually building stuff. And it, you mentioned software, but I think you also have hardware as well, which this, and, and I suspect you're using cloud services of your own. And this introduces a lot of things you have to be creative with, but then also uh, careful with as well. Yeah. Y yes. Um... Uh, consider our practical needs. Um, we're, we're predicated on imaging. And as resolutions have increased, you know, 4K on your iPhone, 6K, 8K, high dynamic range, all manner of, you know, fancy uh, and sophisticated audio. Um, and th the data kept rising exponentially, you know, since file-based. Um, going back now 20 years, remarkably, we've been dealing with files. Um, we, we knew early on that it was simply awesome to store all that data for our own benefit, right? So instead of using tapes or LTOs or, or drives that just sit on a shelf, and when you need something, you go get that drive from the shell and then, uh, shelf and then plug it into a computer and grab the file you need. I know that sounds litigious, but that's pretty much what our entire industry does. So we knew years ago that if we centralize all that data, oh my goodness, efficiency goes through the roof. And this is not an industry benefit, it's just an empirical truth. Um, any industry that centralizes data derives amazing efficiency because now you can grant people secure access and they can grab what they want instead of the legacy process. As we started doing that more and more, um, and, and again, this is before a lot of the um, security discussions were taking place in Hollywood, so to speak. Uh, uh, this is well before a lot of very famous uh, breaches and hacks. Um, we realized that, you know, the internet is unruly um, and we need to protect that data, whether it's on our own private servers or on public cloud, or usually it's a combination of both. Um, so we started to invest in cybersecurity um, at least five, six years ago. Um, even before what we were doing was popular in terms of centralizing data on you know, servers, um, 
you know, we started um, signing up with ISPs and, you know, we've joined many over the years. And then we realized that internet service providers didn't necessarily care much for us in our industry. We, we didn't represent big uh, scale or big opportunity. So we were just like a squeaky wheel post house going, hey, that, that, that a connection you're providing us seems to be faulty. And they would say, no, it's not. It's fine. Deal with it. So, you know, over time, we, we, we hired the right people who can help us navigate um, these new relationships, right? Because post houses don't necessarily have meaningful relationship with ISPs, let alone dozens of ISPs, right? Most people just have relationships with like their internet service provider. What happened over time, and it's just basically because of the challenges of becoming our own ISP, right? Um, is what gave us the ability to, to serve ourselves, our clients, our staff, um, as well as our clients. But it, it, it was the team that we um, sought and found and nurtured that has helped us essentially become I call it a mini ISP specifically for production and post. We have our own network. Uh, we have our ability to do BGP routing. Um, we have our footprint at One Wilshire. Uh, we're able to negotiate with hundreds of ISPs based on any given client need and usually our own needs to, to traffic files um, all around the world. We, we amassed billions of IP addresses. We, we would purchase them just like an actual normal ISP so that we can control our own network. And, and that, that's been a multi-year process. And, and you know, it, it, until we uh, brought on the proper um, talent, uh, and, and oftentimes it came from other industries, right? From from industries that really rely on information security and cybersecurity. It's not like Hollywood is your go-to industry for security um, or, or a lot of talent therein uh, that would advise you on, on networking and security. So it, it's literally been a lifestyle for years and years. And over time, you, you start to get ahead of it, but it is absolutely an investment and, and more than an investment I, I will just say the hardest part about it was not the financial investment, <clears throat> but when you bring on team members that are looking to um, limit your liability and, 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 and uh, uh, protect us uh, as a company, the hardest thing is like they're, they, they sound different. Their vocabulary is different. And then you have the artist, our staff. And, and they don't sound the same to each other. They just have different vocabulary. So when we first started, it was like the security was watch out for the security team, right? They're going to dictate how you do things. And, and you know, th th there's, there's always that natural discord between security policy and creative workflow, right? Our industry is like, hey, man, I'm creative. Leave me alone, you know? Um, and, and that goes all the way to the top, the top TV shows, the top feature films. So you have this thing where if something bad happens and all of a sudden the, 
the, uh, the security team has more leverage. And if everything is fine, then the creative team has more leverage. So what we thought, it, it, it made sense to strike a balance by having the people actually hang out together. Like actually set aside time and talk about it. I know that's, that sounds naive, but like if, if I'm a creative and a security team member uh, says, this is what you're going to do, their natural reaction is, oh gosh, is there any way we could at least do that? Do we have to do that? Is there an alternative? And it's that chemistry, that thing, that then helped us create a balance where we are secure, but we're not, we're not squashing the creative workflow process. In fact, in some cases, our creative workflow process has improved because of how regimented our networking and security policies are. And, and that was an um, unforeseen, fortuitous outcome, right? Us being rigorous, whitelisting, uh, putting routers in the homes has actually streamlined our creative process, but it takes some behavioral modification. And that's not technology. That's just creating the environment where the teams can collaborate and, 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 and keep a cadence on that communication. That's where Nancy um, has been critical because, you know, uh, everyone is busy. Uh, it, it's like herding, not, you know, not cats, but like wild tigers. Everyone is running like a hundred <laughs> miles an hour, but you have to sit down now and we're going to have the security meeting. We're going to give you the latest updates. Uh, by the way, all of the uh, attempts and hacks or everything, we socialize that with everyone as if it's a lively discussion. Yeah. Look what happened to so-and-so. And we take them through the mechanics of, of, uh, of how, um, you know, intrusions are so exquisite nowadays. Right, right. Let, me, let me get into this. Uh, I, I'm dying to make a point here, which is the fact that, and then maybe Nancy, I'll, I'll pass the ball to you. Uh, it looks like you guys were a little bit ahead of the time, ahead of the curve, and you did the right thing. And, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I come from a creative advertising background myself. So I, I know that Sometimes when you actually put yourself in a box, you can actually get more creative. So it's, it's kind of like creativity is not a white canvas. You kind of need that, that constriction. But what I'm really interested in knowing is at what point in the business, the investment started to, to become a value that your customer or your partners uh, start saying, okay, this is, we need this because cybersecurity was not a problem and is never until it is. Well, I think there's, there's an important bridge to be made there. And uh, Rami will likely tell you that I try to contextualize everything so that people actually understand how the ask applies to their job. So we talk a lot about diversity and what that means to an individual, but diversity inside of an organization also means that the salespeople have to understand the stress that accounting goes through. And accounting should have to understand how their decisions impact security. And security needs to understand how their decisions impact creative, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because we all get very hunkered down and focused on our individual tasks that we don't necessarily understand how our choices and our decisions impact the whole. So we do a lot of unpacking that and unwinding that here because it's very important uh, for us to stay together on the same page and towards the same goal. With that, 
a lot of the security meetings, like Rami said, could get very boring or the eyes gloss over. But I come from it, uh, I come to it from a social engineering perspective, meaning I do my best to teach people how to think like a hacker. So when we get shows in, when any post studio, when any studio gets a show in, they have to start thinking significantly about the audience for who will be watching this eventually. Um, also, if you take a show, I'm just going to ubiquitously pick a show like, let's use Mr. Robot because that's fun. So let's say, for example, that you knew that uh, Bad Robot or whoever was involved with that, you're attacking Sam Esmail. You want to see if you can get into his email. You're attacking the director of photography because they likely kept camera mag somewhere on their computer. You're finding out who that post house is because all of that information is somewhere inside of there. So if I could discern who the post house is and I'm going to target maybe the person in accounting who doesn't necessarily know what a phishing email looks like. If I can get her to click on one link, I bet she's also connected to the Wi-Fi, she's connected to our secure routers, et cetera, et cetera, because there's financial information that we also need to target. So all of those things have to be taken into consideration by every single person in the building. And so um, when Rami's even talking about efficiencies, those communication efficiencies were hugely important to us. From a business perspective, however, that bridge was built, one, because we had the infrastructure to handle it, both technically speaking and from an organizational perspective, because we really truly are only as strong as our weakest or not weakest link, but least knowledgeable person, because it really does come down to whether or not you clicked on a link or whether or not you downloaded a PDF. It's just that simple. So the business perspective, we honestly started, we're here in Los Angeles, which of course has a huge traffic problem and it can take you 90 minutes to go 15 miles. Or actually it could take you more than that for 15 miles. So our initial offering had been almost like a luxury service for people that didn't want to make that drive or invest that amount of time to come and do what generally ends up being only like a 45 minute to two hour approval process or to go into review sessions. And so we were able to send calibrated monitors and the appropriate system out for them to do reviews from home or from their office on the other side of town. And that, yeah, for a lot of people surely felt like a luxury, but the more they began to use it and the more that their teams understood it and also understood that it was a completely secure process, they wanted to work that way because it saved them so much time. If weekly you're delivering or every other week you're delivering and you're saving two hours each way and it's something that you can just flip on and you're still working with your colorist, or you're still working with your conform artist, this isn't so much a luxury so much as it is time and financial efficiencies because you're not going in, you're not spending as much time on the road, you're not wasting time palling around with people or it's not wasting time, but you get what I mean. So when COVID happened, most people had already known that this was something of a luxury, which immediately transitioned into a necessity. And so thankfully we have been doing this for so long that we have the vendors that we trust. We were able to source and build faster than I think most people would have thought to. And we were able to pivot not only our clients into their homes safely and get them set up in a very plug and play manner, um, but our own team, they overnight, we were able to get everybody out into their homes working efficiently and safely connected to everything back here at DFT. So from a business standpoint, uh, 
team high five to Rami for having envisioned this years ago because it positioned us very well for today. Overnight success takes a long time, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and I wanted to go back to Marco's question about how long it took to um, essentially, um, I think your question was to achieve the investment or to yeah, make to, the turn. Yeah. When we first started utilizing the internet for production, and again, it still sounds weird to say today, but worldwide production, that the, the actual place where the content is being created, you know, all over the place, tax incentive zones worldwide, is not connected to the internet. So that's been the case even until today, with, with some exceptions here or there. So when, when we started to uh, invest in the internet to streamline production and move files through the internet. We were very fortunate to, to um, have a service provider back then called Wolf. It was an ISP, it was like a specialty ISP and it was, uh, we were able to connect with it at One Wilshire. And I have to say that that kind of evolved us because that was an experience where we were working with a, a boutique specialized ISP where they had just geniusly figured out the best paths to move files. And we got spoiled by that. So we just killed it right away because we were with the right ISP. Unfortunately, they went out of business. Um, so we had one day we woke up and we said we have to get another ISP. So like many companies, you always have middlemen or consultants who advise you on different um, solutions, uh, uh, internet service providers. And, and that experience post-Wolf was really, I would say, delayed us by a year and a half. So, so we didn't achieve the benefits that we're talking about now, or we could have achieved the benefits we're talking about now even sooner if, if we didn't encounter other ISPs that were just the opposite of Wolf, right? Yeah, and, um, and Rami, I, I want to get your thoughts on this because mm -hmm. Nancy said that it, it was initially a luxury to be able to do this. And clearly over time, people started to rely on it. And then with uh, recent events, it's become a necessity. And the, the, the next step perhaps is commodity. Right uh, for and, and it's one thing to enable a, a capability, set up a cloud and, and let people transfer stuff, but you've done it in a way that really leverages security. So I'd like to hear, hear your thoughts on how using are using security as a differentiator to help lead those conversations and maybe talk to us about what some of those conversations sound like, where security is the crux of of those conversations and help your clients make the decision to, to work with you? Yes, I mean, consider our staff and our clients correspondingly. Um, what we used to do routinely as a luxury um, became a necessity come mid-March. Um, there's some pretty dramatic stories with some of our shows like NCISLA where everyone got the word that the studio will be closed tomorrow. Um, but you need to move forward because the, the programs air weekly, oftentimes. So it was like that. So there, it was a sudden pivot to the home. 
including our own staff. So a 10,000 square foot building, fully occupied, 30, 40 people. Um, all of a sudden, the vast majority of our own staff had to be at home. Um, because we had been doing that, not at that scale, uh, all of a sudden, we, we had a sense of what to do. So general framework, putting program routers in the home, right? Um, for our staff and our clients. And that's, and that's overseen by our chief security information officer. Um, and it's part of our network. Um, that was something we were able to do very quickly because we had the, um, the experience to do it, to, to be, set up dozens and dozens of people in days, right? So that was one thing because uh, uh, it's, it's nothing that can just be done routinely. Even if you hired a vendor to do that, it would take uh, days or weeks. Um, so we were able to serve ourselves right away. So that's where the investment really paid off because we never shut down. We, we never even paused. Um, we were able to facilitate our staff at home and, and by having the router, router at home, we're able to actually have real security, like logging, uh, intrusion detection, uh, endpoint malware protection, um, all these things that became part of our security uh, policies over the years, all of a sudden were applied at the home, right? As if and these were routers that you, you designed and built, correct? Um, actually, we do the programming, the software okay. part, uh, but we have partnerships with uh, essentially routers, enterprise routers that we vetted. Um, uh, and it, it, it's not so much about which hardware we use, but rather the software and how we configure them and how we tie them together. Um, that, I think that's our achievement in terms of security and also having comprehensive security policy at the home is rather novel, right? We, we actually have um, essentially oversight of the network. I, kn I know that nothing is a panacea, but consider the alternative is none of that, right? None yeah. of it. So if something happens at the home, no one knows. Uh, the, usually the end user is not a technical person, not an IT person. They just know that their internet isn't working reliably. Um, there you have a case in point where the security proposition also is the benefit of improving your network by having a sense of what's going on in your home instead of not knowing that at all. So that not only benefited our staff, but it benefited our clients because now instead of just not knowing or blaming, oh, it must be your home router, it must be your, um, you know, um, crappy internet service provider or whatever. Um, we can provide much more intelligence than that. And, and again, everything is, is, is reviewable, auditable. There's a troubleshooting process that's based on evidence, actual logs, right? As opposed to none of that. So for us, it was rather natural but it was all based on all of our experiences and all our investments in cybersecurity years past. Now that you have all this experience, you have been able to apply it. And again, 
it was an overnight success and a success story because you were ready for it for a long time. And I think that as we usually do in our conversation, we, we say that we look at this, the past so we can actually look into the future. So I think that we are in a point where cybersecurity has become a valuable asset uh, that is in between relationship, business relationship, and when you vet new partners, new vendors, and, and especially in an industry so demanding like this one. I think it's going to be more and more a point of conversation. So as we wrap up this conversation, I would like from both of you a, a little bit of a vision in the crystal ball of how you see this developing, the importance of cybersecurity in your business, even considering the way that you're using artificial intelligence. You mentioned at the beginning some advanced technologies and you know what, what's the next step? On the, on the software development side, I can assure you that all the gaps and, and challenges that we're running into become the priorities of our software team. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pose a simple use case, and that is a user at home um, is given a notification, some understanding of what's going on in layman language. That's very novel, right? Um, not a script or an IT term, but rather simple language to give clarity to the user, whether they're at the facility or the home. That is hugely attractive to us. And it's one of the things we're working on. Um, I would also say in terms of the crystal ball, there's a general sense by myself and a lot of our friends and colleagues that after the COVID um, experience um, subsides, there's going to be a certain percentage of, of, of our community and I think humanity that will decide to work from home voluntarily uh, or on Friday when they don't want to go through traffic. And I think that's going to be a profound shift in that a lot of our creative teams um, will now be doing it remotely forever. Right. I, I think it, but not everyone, you know, the way COVID happens, but rather a certain percentage and that percentage represents a profound change. Right. So, so to be able to address the home uh, where you have a professional person uh, working on some kind of professional system uh, with enterprise security. Uh, with oversight, with real people monitoring the logs and using all manner of sophisticated tools to alert you that something is wrong. Because, you know, no human can actually sit there and, and process uh, every bit that goes to any given system, but rather all tools available uh, and the investment in those tools and the investment in the people to read them and to always know what the best tool is that is our future, right? I've always said to the team here, security is a lifestyle. Uh, mind you, we've passed all the audits that have been in front of us. Uh, the, the most latest um, uh, industry standard is called the Trusted Partner Network. And we were early to be involved in that, just like the other audit processes for various studios. But it's not just that, it's, it's the lifestyle. It's team members giving each other a heads up because 
when something goes wrong, it's not exactly what you expected. We need to cover each other's backs. And that's a non-technical thing. It's, a, it's more of a social cultural thing that we socialize with our staff, with our clients. That's why education is so critical because security in many ways is a little hard to understand. It's, um, it's, it's a it's culture. A it's, no, you, you, you said it right. It's, it's about yeah. uh, waking up every morning be conscious about the fact that you live in a connected world, either with your phone or with your work, with your laptop or whatever it is. And it has to become that natural thing to do. Uh, almost subconsciously. As you, as, yeah, as you close your doors, or you lock your car, as you got to be careful about what you what you do. So, yeah. And I, I think, Nancy, you, you've played a, a huge role in that, obviously, with your, your social <laughs> engineering uh, background and experience. I, I, I'm, I'm burn, it's burning in my mind to ask you this question. What, what part of the business do you want to hack next? <laughs> um, you know, honestly, uh, I was joking with our CISO yesterday that uh, one of my favorite things is finding one of the bad guys and doxing them or, uh, you know, DDoSing any of their own efforts. And, you know, I'm kind of, uh, uh, Rami would tell you, I'm, only a bully towards bullies. So anyone who looks to do harm, I dig in. And uh, my brother is actually a librarian. And the point of this is to share that he actually watches the, the network for his university. And there were on average 300 to 500 malware attacks per day coming in on their network because students, they don't know much about their credit. They're not paying attention. So they're really easy targets. Um, you know, you can send an email, they'll click on it and you own them. But for media and entertainment, there are generally a few more hoops to jump through. But when everybody moved into the home, why I keep stressing the fact that someone is going to look for their favorite show or a show that they know that other people are big fans of, and you could get big money for even just one episode or a chunk of the movie. And if you're working on that from home, they're gonna find you and they're gonna try and so my brother is the example with between 300 and 500 attacks per day coming in towards these college kids who aren't paying attention. That went down to between 20 and 30 attacks per day because hackers were moving on to much higher value targets because they had become just as vulnerable and just as easily attacked. So um, when I was working with the DOD, it was my job to find the people who would find those people. And so there's a part of me that does see a potential for rooting out those bad actors because it saves us money to go on the offense, actually, in a lot of cases, as opposed to defense. And so that's interesting to me, but uh, more, more of a revenue <laughs> generator would honestly be protecting those who are on set. So even if we do have a vaccine, even if everything were to go back to quote unquote normal tomorrow, it doesn't change the fact that we have a giant carbon footprint. Uh, our industry does by having so many people on set, having so many drives physically shipped and it, it's just not efficient. It doesn't help anyone to have to wait overnight for drives to be flown from Fiji. You know, I, I respect the Quentin Tarantinos of the world who buy two first class seats to make sure that your film canisters can make it to Cannes safely. I absolutely respect that, um, but it's not the most efficient workflow. And so to protect people 
who are working from home, both physically by keeping them distanced and uh, security wise, keeping that unaired media safe. There's just, there's so many ways in which to grow because we haven't yet solved all of the audio components. We have not yet solved for latency. We have not yet solved for multi-broadcast, the same image to end users. So these are all things that we've begun jumping into and tackling. And I think the greatest revenue generator that Digital Film Tree has ever had is defined by one question. What is your biggest pain point? What's your biggest pain point? That's the only thing we tend to care about because then we listen. And a lot of times people don't actually know what their biggest pain point is. They know what the symptoms of their biggest pain point is, but they don't necessarily always know the root cause. And so that's where we get to dig in. And the fact that we have had an R&D effort for the better part of a decade really has allowed us to jump in where it's software, to jump in where it's workflow, to jump in where it's, uh, you know, just technical advisement. And so I think same as it always is, Pinky. Or, <laughs> no, we're just, what is your biggest pain point? And let us solve that. And all of those answers people have given us have led in large part to where we are today and where we'll be tomorrow. Yeah. I love it. And, and as, a, as a quick summary, as we wrap here, I think the, the, the obvious main point is your investment in protecting your own operations, your own employees, your partners and their environments enable you to do what isn't possible otherwise. And so you're, you're doing new things, better things, faster things, uh, better for your business because you've embraced a mindset, a culture, a lifestyle, as you said, Rami, of investing and living and breathing cybersecurity. And with that, I, I, I want to send both of you a sincere thank you for taking your time to share the story with us and, and for being part of, this, part of the series. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it was a great conversation. We touched the creative, the technology, the business, the past and the future. That's a good story. That is a good story. In my book. So, <laughs> um, looking forward to tell many more of this interesting story with interesting people such as yourself. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys making that even possible. Thank you very much. RSA Security offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. Learn more at rsa.com. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and the story made you think, then share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our columns. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.